We filtered out the mayor a long time ago. We don't have time for the political noise. <laughs> the Trump administration doesn't have time for political noise. Got it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ, on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. Happily, they dodged a bullet over the weekend. And in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst others, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Well, as noted, it looks like New Orleans may have uh, mostly dodged uh, one climate change bullet over the weekend. Uh, actually, the uh, hopefully the entire uh, Gulf seems to have dodged that bullet mostly. But another climate change bullet that uh, also appears to have formed very quickly appears to now be devastating. Northern California and now parts of Southern California as we go to air. We will cover both um, and uh, the ongoing bullet in uh, Puerto Rico momentarily before we're joined by John Nichols of The Nation on both the idiocy of Donald Trump's weekend, but more importantly, uh, what it means to the U.S. and the world and a sober look, frankly, beyond the Twitter idiocy at the Trump GOP that is still plowing ahead with their agenda in what he calls in a new report Donald Trump's dangerously coherent agenda. That, even as the media and the world are distracted by the Twitter feed of our reality TV show President of the United States. Uh, and um, on that point, the uh, the planet's worsening climate crisis, the causes for it anyway, are not only being ignored by this administration, Desi Doyen, they are now actively, well, they have been since the jump, actively working to make it even worse. Oh, yeah, they're undermining every single policy that the Obama administration and other administrations have put in place to fight climate change. First, to the, uh, to the bullet that has largely and thankfully been missed over the weekend, uh, Hurricane Nate, now Tropical Depression Nate, slogged its way across the U.S. East Coast on Monday, dropping heavy rains, gusty winds to inland states. 
Uh, now, as a tropical depression, a day after Hurricane Nate brought a burst of flooding and power outages to the U.S. Gulf Coast, thankfully, Nate appears to have spared the region the kind of uh, catastrophic da damage left by a series of hurricanes. Now, uh, four hurricanes in the past six weeks have made landfall in the U.S., uh, but Nate spared the region uh, the, the type of uh, catastrophic damage we saw by uh, Herma, uh, Herma, Harvey, Irma, and Maria. They're all just getting blended together at this point. Uh, that's good news, at least uh, in regards to Nate. That's the first hurricane to make landfall in Mississippi since Katrina back in 2005. It quickly lost strength on Sunday after making landfall. As a uh, as a Category One hurricane with uh, wind speeds up to 85 miles an hour, as it came ashore in Biloxi, Mississippi, early on Sunday, and uh, that was the second landfall after hitting southeastern Louisiana on Saturday evening. A lot of concern about the pumping system in New Orleans, which is uh, not working at full uh, at full strength uh, happily it looks like new orleans will uh, was spared the worst of hurricane nate and that is very good news it's hard very to emphasize news. how yes. good that is the uh, lee smithson director of the state emergency management agency in mississippi said that uh, damage from nate was held down in part because of work done and lessons learned from katrina well, somebody's learning lessons. Uh, somebody is. He said uh, that if that storm would have hit us 15 years ago, the damage would have been extensive and we would have had loss of life. Uh, but they have rebuilt the coast in the aftermath of Katrina, higher and stronger, learning lessons. Thank God from what happened uh, from the disaster, the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina uh, 12 years ago. Am I right? 2005? Yes, yeah, 12 years ago. Uh, Nate did knock out power to more than 100,000 residents in uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Florida. Uh, but uh, hopefully most of those outages will be restored within 24 hours. Um, so that is uh, one bullet uh, sort, of dodged. sort of dodged. There's still a lot of, uh, lot of rain, six inches in some areas of the deep south uh, from Hurricane, now tropical, Depression, Nate. Yes, and I have to make a correction sure. on our previous mm -hmm. uh, show. I had said that I was trying to remember when hurricane season ends. It does not end November 1st. It ends November 30th. So uh, that's the official hurricane season. Of course, a warm ocean doesn't care what the date is. That's true. But even with the official season, we still got two more months of this potentially yes. going on. I noticed another tropical depression has formed far out in the Atlantic. And while these hurricanes that we have seen have helped to get rid of some of the heat uh, that's in the oceans, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it's all gone. So we still have danger remaining. In the meantime, disaster recovery continues still in Puerto Rico, despite the rosy scenario that Donald Trump has been offering in the two-plus weeks since Hurricane Maria devastated that island. Some 90% of the island still without power. Uh, almost half the island is without clean running water. Uh, despite Donald Trump uh, tweeting out over the weekend a video of, of himself uh, shaking hands and going through the 
disaster down in Puerto Rico as if uh, things were going great there. Yeah, and he tweeted it, no other president has done what I have done, yes. even though most of the video images were of the Department of Defense, Correct. you know, soldiers and rescue workers that are actually doing the work. Yeah. And um, and and there was this bizarre situation where, you know, we've been talking about the mayor of San Juan, um, who has been highly critical of the relief efforts down there. Uh, the FEMA chief, what's his name, Brock Long? Yes, Brock what, what Long. What happened here over the weekend? Kind of remarkable for uh, the head of FEMA to say something like yes, this. Yes, uh, basically the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, Carmen Yulene Cruz, who has been very critical. She was, uh, again, making public pleas for faster assistance because two hospitals ran out of electricity and had to have their intensive care unit patients evacuated by air flight. So uh, she was asking again for help, and this is what Brock Long, the director of FEMA said on ABC This Week. We filtered out the mayor a long time ago. We don't have time for the political noise. The bottom line is, is that um, we are making progress every day in conjunction with the governor. And uh, in regards to the power failure, we're restringing a very fragile system every day. Uh, as we make progress, simple thunderstorms pass through, knock the progress out. But uh, as far as the political noise, we filter that out, keep our heads down, and continue to make progress and and uh, push forward to restoring essential essential functions for Puerto Rico. Okay, Brock Long, that was not political noise. Uh, the mayor of San Juan was slogging through uh, waist-deep water in hip waders for days and days, weeks uh, after the storm when Donald Trump was at his uh, golf club in New Jersey uh, and has been saving people's lives and pointing to what they need. Not It's not political noise. Pointing to the fact that, uh, and she again, she's the mayor of the capital city of Puerto yes, Rico. the largest city in yeah. Puerto Rico. And, and saying that the relief is just not reaching the people that need to be reached, including in San Juan, much less the far reaches of the island. So... And kind of an incredible statement from that guy, Brock Long, who seems to have been doing a fairly decent job. Yeah, other than the political but, attacks against yeah. the mayor. I mean, it does kind of sound like FEMA official, a FEMA official is saying, hey, if you're going to criticize the president, then I'm sorry, we're not going to listen to you anymore. Uh, in the meantime, in the bullet not dodged today, California's fire chief says now that at least 1,500 homes and buildings, commercial buildings, have been destroyed. That's just today. In wildfires that have ripped across the uh, state's wine country, numerous people have been uh, injured. A number of residents are also missing as 14 large fires burn uh, in Northern California. And in fact, uh, one has now been uh, killed in one of those fires, uh, California's Department of Forestry and Fire Protection Director Kim, Ken Pimlot says some 20,000 people have been evacuated as of earlier today. He called the estimates of destroyed structures very conservative. That number, 1,500 homes and commercial buildings destroyed today, very conservative. Pimlot says the fires are burning throughout an eight-county swath of Northern California, including Napa, Sonoma, and Yuba counties. Uh, as we go to air, news of another wildfire has now erupted here in Southern California, southeast of Los Angeles, in the hill country of, uh, of Orange, Eastern Orange County. That fire, according to officials, erupted late this morning, is being pushed by 25-mile-per-hour winds amid hot weather that we've been having out here of late. Much of Southern California is under red flag warnings. Uh, 
for fire danger, exactly like what we're seeing due to the uh, first significant Santa Ana winds, these uh, warm winds that come in from the desert. And they're super dry and they suck literally all the moisture out of the trees, the soil, uh, the plants, and it makes everything tinder dry. TV news helicopters over Anaheim, southeast of Los Angeles. That's where Disney World is for those Disneyland is for those of you. Uh, who may have been out here for that, uh, are showing several homes now fully engulfed in flames that and uh, which are spreading to others as of Monday afternoon. Anaheim Fire and Rescue says the fire has grown to well over 2,000 acres and is being fought by 200 firefighters, fighters, uh, six helicopters, six airplanes. The uh, the head of the state of uh, uh, fire association said that most of the fires in the northern part of the state started about 10 p.m. on Sunday night, late night Sunday, and uh, says right now firefighters the only thing they can do up north for the most part are concentrating on saving lives rather than battling the blaze, the blazes. More than 200 people were quickly evacuated from two different hospitals in Santa Rosa. That's in, yeah, that's just south of Napa Valley in Sonoma. Emergency workers and staff at a state home for the severely disabled outside of Sonoma have evacuated uh, all of some 240 patients as flames from fast-spreading wildfires there approached the center and ash is now raining down. Governor uh, Governor of California Jerry Brown has declared a state of emergency. Uh, and residents up in Napa and Sonoma and the wine country are describing terrifying middle-of-the-night scrambles to flee from these raging wind-whipped fires, reportedly. Some are just described driving through fires on both sides of the road in order to escape with these wind gusts said to be tremendous, making the fires unpredictable, uh, downed trees or blocking some rural roads with fires on both sides of them with gusts up to 60 miles per hour. One person so far has been, as I said, reportedly been killed, two others seriously injured. But I fear this is another case where we won't know the full death toll, much less the damage to houses and buildings and so forth for some time because these fires sort of blew up very late at night when many uh, were undoubtedly home asleep and they may not have gotten the news to evacuate uh, in time. So, uh, so far up in Northern California, that has burned at least 68 square miles. The state fire chief says there have been more than 1,500, there have been 1,500 more wildfires this year than last year at this time. And last year, as I recall, Des was uh, was a record. Yes, every year this year seems everything this year seems to be a new record. It does, and uh, at the same time, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, Scott Pruitt, said on Monday, as all of this is going along, all of these hurricanes, uh, now all of the, these fires out here in California. Scott Pruitt says he's going to sign a new rule to override the clean power plan, the Ob- the Obama effort to limit carbon emissions from coal-fired power plants to avoid things like we have seen over the past month or two in this country. And that doesn't even talk about all of the other, you know, Hurricane Nate, uh, it hasn't it didn't kill anybody that we know of here in the US. It did kill at least 22 down in Central America. So uh, gutting the clean power plan has been what uh, Scott Pruitt has uh, long been the culmination of a long fight that he began when he was the attorney general of Oklahoma. And the states have 
picked up the ball here and they are reducing carbon emission anyway, no matter what it is that the uh, that the federal government is doing. But um, as I say, that's the good news here, that states are going to do this anyway, hopefully, at least some states, because reducing carbon emissions makes you know good financial sense, frankly, at this point. Natural gas and renewables are cheaper. They add jobs, etc. I think the real danger is in giving permission to other nations to start falling away from the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. That's what the climate, the Clean Power Plan was meant to uh, to help sh- meet U.S. commitments to. So, um, if other nations also take this as a sign uh, to no longer meet the uh, Paris Climate Agreement commitments, well, those commitments were already far less than the world needs to avoid the very worst effects of climate change. The other danger is that this underscores no matter how buffoonish Donald Trump appears to be, no matter how much the media are obsessed with his idiocy on Twitter, he remains a unique danger to both the country and the planet. And that danger is still being vastly underestimated by the media, by Congress, both Republicans and Democrats and the public. According to my guest coming up, John Nichols, we will talk to him after this break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Amidst the surreal and hyper-rapid churning of Donald Trump's America, it can be difficult to grasp what is clownish spectacle and what is deadly serious. That, according to the introduction of a new report by our friend John Nichols for the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung Foundation, a progressive nonprofit institution committed to the analysis of democratic social processes, politics, conflict pre- uh, prevention and peaceful resolution worldwide is his latest tweet a flight of fancy a cynical distraction or the near future of american policy and with a new source of outrage every day how can one remain clear-eyed about the greatest dangers posed by his administration 
Those are some of the questions that are asked in this 28-page report just out last week. In, uh, and that last part is, is, is a question that I must say I ask myself dozens of times each day, uh, to be frank. Uh, the the intro goes on to say, because make no mistake, in spite of the reality TV style performances, the dangers from gutting health care to war with North Korea are very real. That is uh, from the introduction to John Nichols new report titled Donald Trump's Dangerously Coherent Agenda. So is there actually method to Trump's madness, or is he just lucky that way with a compliant and too often cowardly Republican Party seemingly happy to continue working with him to attain their agenda of gutting health care, cutting taxes, ignoring climate change, and seemingly ratcheting up world tensions across the globe despite the madness issuing from the present occupant of the White House? Here to discuss all of that and his new book, and much more, no doubt, is the indefatigable John Nichols. He is Washington correspondent for The Nation, contributing writer for The Progressive, and in these times, associate editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital Times. He's also the author uh, of many books on progressive politics and the challenges faced by the left, including his latest book, just out in paperback, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. He also, by the way, happens to rival another friend of the show and his colleague at The Nation, our friend David Dayan, as perhaps the most prolific progressive journalist in America. John Nichols, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. It's a total honor to be with you, and I'm, I'm glad you referenced David. He just has a great new cover story in The Nation that, mm -hmm. once again, is, is fabulous investigative reporting. Yep. So, Indeed. Uh, I'm honored to be a colleague. Uh, on the banking crisis and uh, the fact that, uh, yeah, well, it was it was fake mortgages that uh, helped uh, pay off those banks afterwards. Anyway. You'll uh, be surprised to learn that they're crooks. What? Who knew? Uh, John, I, I want to talk to you about your, your Rosa Luxemburg uh, report, uh, the introduction from which I was just quoting there, as well as your book. But the events of the weekend sort of seem to underscore the case that you're trying to make in that report almost as much as anything. So let me start first here by getting your reaction uh, first, to, to Trump's, frankly, chilling and unsettling comment late last week before a White House dinner with uh, top military personnel in which he described the gathering as, quote, the calm before the storm. Uh, but then he refused to offer details about what what he meant there other than gesturing to the military leaders and telling reporters, quote, you'll find out. What is your what is your take on 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 that cryptic uh, and chilling comment, John? Well, look, it, it, it's part and parcel of how Donald Trump is playing a very, very dangerous game. And the thing to understand is this. Uh, since the end of World War II, the United States has avoided nuclear war mm -hmm. uh, via the policy of containment. Now, I, I would not tell you that containment's the greatest idea or the greatest thing. I, I would love to see, you know, a genuine and... and successful, uh, you know, demilitarization, I guess, mm -hmm. to, to get rid of these weapons. But in the absence of that, containment uh, is a strategy that allows us to, via a combination of uh, shows of strength, if you will, mm -hmm. and negotiations, largely negotiations. In fact, the, the way that containment works is to 
you know, like talk tough, but uh, have that negotiating capacity there. What's happened with Trump, and I write about this a lot in the book, is that since his election as president of the United States, he has clearly and aggressively dialed down diplomacy, support for foreign aid, mm-hmm. commitment to the State Department, while dialing up commitment to the military, literally taking money out of or proposing to take massive amounts of money out of social and domestic programs, even things like Meals on Wheels, mm-hmm. in order to fund an expansion of the Pentagon. So uh, you have to put Trump's statement in that context. This is a guy who is not practicing containment. He is not making threatening noises in order to force negotiations because he literally has shown no respect for negotiations. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so dangerous. He is not giving, and, I, and I, believe me, I have no uh, naivete as regards to North Koreans. I think they're bad players. I think they are very irrational and very erratic. But he's not giving them any out. Mm-hmm. Um and and he's actually undermining the the, the 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 diplomacy that you're talking about. Tweeting to Tillerson that he's wasting his time with uh, with North Korea just after Tillerson had revealed that the State Department had a direct communication channel with North Korea. So you, what what you seem to be suggesting here is he was potentially referring to Korea. He's uh, doing the military side, uh, the the threat side, but not taking up the other equally important half, which is the the negotiation and diplomacy side. Right, and I think a lot of Americans, frankly, I think a lot of commentators, uh, obviously there's very savvy commentators, but a lot of the people who, like, you know, like throw off theories on all this, aren't really putting this into into a rational context. Mm-hmm. They're not recognizing that that if you're practicing containment, but you don't have that diplomacy backstop, yeah. uh, you, you're in a pretty dangerous surf. And, and you're right, we did steer toward North Korea. I think we cannot take it out of the context of Iran as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. This is literally, we're on the eve of the president, you know, supposedly, we'll see what exactly is done, mm-hmm. but perhaps ripping up uh, the Iran deal. And again, there you have a situation where you're rejecting diplomacy for what? I mean, what is your alternative? And as Americans, we have to be very, very concerned about this. I think this is why Bob Corker, mm-hmm. uh, the you know really kind of chief Republican on a lot of foreign relations issues, yeah. uh, is is just kind of blowing up at this point and and saying, you know, the generals and Tillerson are keeping Trump in control. Um, I would caution only this: uh, be very, very careful about assuming that the generals are perfect players. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that they are. I think they are certainly more rational than Trump. But in the book, I write a lot about uh, Mattis and McMaster, mm-hmm. who are obviously the generals we refer to. And both of these guys have long histories, and yes, they are intellectuals, but their intellectualism has been steered towards suggesting that the Pentagon should be dramatically bigger, more powerful, that it should listen less to... Uh, civilians and more to generals. Mm-hmm. And so I, we're not necessarily uh, veering in a good direction. No, we're not. And McMaster's in particular uh, concerns me. Uh, he, he seems to be simply going along with 
pretty much whatever uh, whatever Trump seems to be saying uh, out loud concerning Iran and and ISIS and even North Korea. There's the uh, sort of the, the, the at the central uh, the nub of your uh, piece for uh, Rosa Luxemburg, that report. Uh, you talk about the distractions and how really he has a coherent uh, agenda here. Now, there's this whole, for example, this whole moron thing that everyone is uh, is taken with between, you know, Rex Tillerson mm-hmm. and Donald Trump. What did he call him? What didn't he? Uh, but you note in the intro to your report, and I want to uh, cite this because I think it's important. You write, uh, in the summer of 2017, six months into Trump's presidency, Quinnipiac polling asked Americans, what is the first word that comes to mind when you think of Donald Trump. The most mentioned word was idiot, followed by incompetent, liar, words like unqualified, clown, some words that I can't say here on the air, uh, but that remarkably, of the 46 words that were mentioned at least five times by the people being polled, there was no reference to Trump's ideology, to his partisanship, to his policies. They seemed to be uh, completely ignored here, John, uh, and uh, th- that you you know you write that uh, the media and, in fact, the public are dealing with uh, Trump as if he's an out of control child. That's what Senator Bob Corker actually sort of referred to when he said it's the shame that uh, the White House has become an adult daycare center. But um, I'm not sure that his party, even guys like Bob Corker, much less the media, much less the public, understand the coherent agenda that you talk about in your uh, in your report. So um, d- d- explain that and explain why it is or how it is that the distraction is is uh, keeping us p- keeping the public from understanding the dangers of Donald Trump here. Well, look, this is something that that I've said going back into 2016, and that this is frankly why I was asked to you know sit down and take mm-hmm. the time to think about. And, and explain Trump's agenda. I think Trump does have an agenda. I do believe it evolves. I, it's not always, you know, as locked in as some of your most rigid ideologues, but it's pretty clear, and frankly, it is locking in more and more. And the, the greatest strength that Donald Trump has in American politics, his number one strength, is that he is not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And for so long as he is not taken seriously... He is able to uh, continue to entertain, to continue to, you know, control the the discourse because people are just looking for what more cute, adorable, horrifying, frightening, freakish thing that he does. Mm -hmm. And you know what that is? It's like it is, as Corker says, like dealing with a child, right? Right. People uh, are very interested in a child, and and they want to see what that child does, and they're you know, engaged with every aspect of it. But um, if the child isn't really a child, if the child actually has a plan, and we are still looking for the shocking, funny, weird, bizarre, scary thing to happen, mm-hmm. we are not noticing as an agenda is being implemented. And here's the bottom line on Donald Trump. Donald Trump might have wanted at one time, to be a popular president with wide support. But he is never, ever going to be that. It isn't going to happen. There's not going to be some forgiveness by the left uh, or forgiveness by independents. Mm-hmm. You know, the polling data tells us that, you know, that train has left the station. 
So Donald Trump, he knows how to survive, and his survival instinct is locking in a very coherent agenda, which is the agenda of the hard, hard social right. These are uh, people who want to ban abortion. Mm -hmm. These are people who want to go backward on gay rights. These are people who want to use the power of government to strengthen churches in our public life and to weaken uh, you know, a host of civil liberties, a host of structural uh, controls, if you will, that have been you know, put into place over the years to make sure that we maintain a civil and functional society. And, 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 and in combination, those people combined with economic conservatives mm -hmm. who, frankly, don't share any of the social conservative views, but they need a voting base that can keep them in power. And Trump is defaulting to these people. He is, you know, this is a guy who was elected, right? He was going to tear up NAFTA, tear right. up China free trade. I mean, everything was going to be changed, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, workers were going to be in, the, the, in a worker's paradise. Well, that hasn't happened. D and, in fact, his policies you know, on economics have been straight out of Wall Street, and his policies on domestic issues have been straight out of, you know, James Dobson or worse. And I want to ask more about that, uh, specifically about that uh, you, you describe as his agenda as the most conservative platform in modern history. But before we move too far on from... Uh, from the, the, the Corker and the Tillerson nonsense, uh, do you see any signs, John Nichols, that uh, perhaps because of this that anything might actually change the way that this Congress deals with this president, uh, with Trump and his presidency? Uh, or, or, or is this just all of that noise? Is that just more distraction from the GOP Trump agenda that is still powering forward anyway? I think it's total distraction. I, I hate to say it, yeah. but I don't see any evidence whatsoever mm -hmm. that um, Republicans in Congress are willing to sacrifice power, mm -hmm. which they might have to do. Remember, um, when the Republicans in, in Congress in 1973 and 1974 took on uh, Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. because Richard Nixon was a lawless president, when the Republicans, uh, moderate and liberal Republicans, in the 1980s took on Ronald Reagan, because he was moving too far to the right, they knew that they were sacrificing power, that, that they were weakening their partisan position, but they felt it was what they had to do for the country. Right. Um, that, I, I see no evidence of that. Mm. And frankly, Brad, I'll be blunt with you, I see very little evidence of Democrats figuring out the play either. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, what I think we've got is Trump really taking over the Republican Party and guiding it toward a 2018 election in which um, they will seek to do everything they can to mobilize the hard right base with heavy funding from the economic conservative base, uh, the classic model, a really very classic old school conservative model, mm -hmm. um, combined with a, a greater commitment to voter suppression uh, and to voter demobilization via, um, you know, not the classic voter suppression, but also uh, weakening of unions, weakening of uh, civic structures, as well as negative campaigning, classic negative campaigning, which is a voter demobilization tool, mm -hmm. um, in the hopes that um, they could squeak by with a, a small minority of the American populace 
in a low turnout election, not just in 2018, but potentially 2020. I think that's the strategy that they have gone for, and I'm not sure that Democrats have fully realized that the counter to that is a mass mobilization strategy um, that gets gets the great mass of people out, and it also makes these voter suppression, voting rights issues central to, to what they're working on. You write that Trump has made himself more conservative than conservatives knew a president could be. I'll uh, I'll grant the uh, the use of the word conservative there for point of discussion, uh, but how is his agenda, as you see it, John Nichols, more Republican or uh, I think Fox News ish, so to speak, uh, than likely anything that we might have faced had one of his primary challengers, like Jeb Bush or Chris Christie or even uh, or even Ted Cruz, won the presidency somehow? How does uh, Donald Trump and the way he operates uh, make his make that far right agenda even more dangerous than uh, had one of those other guys uh, been been uh, elected president. Well, you went to the heart of the matter question here, and this is that you are spot on here. Um, if a genuine conservative, and remember, Trump is not a genuine conservative, right? This is he has a coherent strategy, he has a coherent ideology. Mm-hmm. But it's not a sincere strategy or a sincere ideology. He just wants power, and he wants to maintain it. And he knows he can't go left to maintain it. It's not going to work. There's not a space there for him. So he's burrowing in. And I, I have always noticed this in politics. I've covered politics for a very, very long time. The cynical ideologue, the person who's, who joins into an ideological camp because it's how they get power, mm-hmm. is much more willing to go to extremes than the sincere ideologue. The sincere ideologue knows that some of what they're doing is unpopular, right. uh, that they have to build coalitions, mm-hmm. and, and they frankly recognize that they could get beat, right? Mm-hmm. The cynical ideologue, who is simply using it as a play, uh, as part of a broader strategy, uh, which again, I would argue, includes these voter suppression strategies and others, um, will always take you much further to extremes. And if you want an example of that, I invite you to go back and read William F. Buckley's writings in the 1960s and 1970s. I mean, William F. Buckley was the, the crown prince of conservatism, the philosopher who, you know, really in many ways shaped a lot of modern conservatism. But if you go back and read him today, he sounds, you know, like a often, not always, on some issues, very extreme. But on, on some issues, he sounds like a moderate Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, because he was trying to be a part of the discourse. He was trying to be a part of the the broader political reality. Right. He was still operating in the theory that winning involved getting 51%. I don't think that the Trump people operate on a winning involves getting 51%. Remember, he became president of the United States with a lower percentage of the vote than Mitt Romney got in 2012. Mm, right. So I think they operate in a very different model, and at the core of that model is energizing and exciting their extreme base. And it's also... Supreme Court picks and other, other moves. And it's also unclear to me, John, and I just want to get your thoughts here, and we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back, because uh, I want to ask you about uh, Democrats, their strategy. And I also want to ask you about how this is all playing around the world, what this means uh, for <laughs> governance going yeah. forward. But, uh, yeah, it, it's un- it's unclear to me that Trump, 
let me put it. Is it possible that Trump is both a bumbling boob and more dangerous because he actually doesn't know what he doesn't know? For example, you know, Jeb Bush understands uh, certain things that, you know, we can build coalitions. We can do this. We can do that. Trump doesn't seem to know what he doesn't know. He was in Puerto Rico last week. He's handing out flashlights, telling people they don't need them anymore. Uh, does he not know that 90% of the island is still without power? Is, is he lying to put on a positive show? Or is, you know, does he seemingly have just limited information and intelligence that he is given that basically comes from Fox News or, or advisors that are afraid to, you know, to give him actual facts? That's why he seems to me to be more dangerous, because I'm not sure what he... I'm not sure that he knows what he doesn't know at this point, John, so he can just do anything at this point. It's a superb question, and it's exactly right. Now, you happen to come from the L.A. area, mm-hmm. or at least be in the L.A. area, yeah. uh, where Stephen Miller was born. Right. Um, and Stephen Miller remains exceptionally close to the president. Um, and mm-hmm. I think Stephen Miller absolutely does. He's a true believer for the most extreme right Right, uh, thinking on a host of issues, and he's very close to this president. Clearly, played a role in writing the UN speech of all things, mm-hmm. and um, so I do think he has some terrible people around him. Uh, he has uh, General Kelly, who is simply the, the worst yes man ever produced. Right. I mean, just an awful mess of a chief of the staff. Uh, actually, I can, and this is a remarkable statement to say that he's worse than Ryan Priebus, mm-hmm. and and so. Uh, Trump does have this advisor problem, and and part of it is that Trump doesn't want people around him telling him what he doesn't want to hear. So you're right. He, he does operate frequently from a place of ignorance. However, um, one of the biggest mistakes people make is to assume that he's a bumbling idiot. Um, one of the things that Trump does is suss out the situation that he is in and figure out how to survive. And, you know, this is a guy who paints himself as an incredibly sec- successful businessman, right? Mm-hmm. But he went bankrupt, you know, multiple times. This is a guy who paints himself as, you know, the, the king of all entertainment, the master of, of television, and yet uh, many of his TV endeavors weren't successful. Mm-hmm. Um, he always looks for the way to survive, and part of that survival instinct is to identify what he needs to do to get through the whatever you know veil of tears whatever you know valley he's in right and it's quite clear that the one thing he does think about is the care and feeding of the extreme right-wing base giving them something on a regular basis now brad you do this you just pause you know sometimes take a calendar out and you go back to you know go back to august Mm -hmm. you look at about every three days donald trump now, forget about his tweets, forget yep. about his speeches, forget about all the bad stuff. About every three days, Donald Trump or Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. or Tom Price or now gone, right. uh, or Pruitt gives the base, usually the social right-wing base, but also sometimes the economic conservative base, something they really, really, really want. Yep. He throws and he, he, the word... Yeah. Yeah. Well, he. Yeah. Right. He. He continuously throws them a bone, no matter what is going on. Throws them the red meat that they're looking for. 
that's keeping them on board. Uh, but John, I need to take a quick break here because I want to. I need to take a quick break, but I want to come back and talk to you about Democrats and uh, maybe challenge you a little bit on this notion that there is no room on the left that he can only move far right. And uh, well, I'll explain that after this. Uh, after this break, speaking with John Nichols, the great John Nichols of thenation.com and everywhere else. Take a quick break, and we'll come back with him with a few more questions here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Yeah, it's been rising for quite a while. Lots of trouble. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with John Nichols of The Nation uh, and uh, author of the new book, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. Uh, I want to talk about that book, and uh, he, we've been talking about his new report for the uh, Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, Donald Trump's Dangerously Coherent Agenda. John Nichols, before we went to the break, you had uh, said that there is no room for Donald Trump to move to the left. He's not going to be able to peel off any Democrats. I want to challenge you on that point in the in the few minutes we have left here a little bit, because a few weeks ago, when Trump actually did reach out to Democrats on uh, what was it at the time now? Uh, was it was it health DACA. DACA, right on DACA yeah, on yeah. immigration? We saw a, a fairly substantive bump in his poll numbers. And I'm wondering yeah. if yeah. he's going to figure out, look, I don't there's no more I'm going to be able to get from the Republicans at this point. If I reach out to Democrats, as he did again on health care uh, over the weekend, reportedly with Chuck Schumer, if he reaches out and does a few of those things, can he not peel off? enough, let's call them Democrats or people in the middle, that he can become a very powerful and dangerous uh, uh, force for elections in 2018 and in 2020, that he'll get, you know, he'll hang on to his far right and he'll pull in enough people from the middle and the Democrats that uh, they could be in very serious trouble. Well, if they compromise sufficiently with him, um, remember, he reached out to him on DACA Mm -hmm. and... You know, there was a sense initially, oh, wow, you know, maybe something happens here. Now, what have we seen as a few weeks have passed? The demands from Trump and the Republicans for a DACA deal are over-the-top extremes. They want everything. Right. And so uh, you can't, the notion that you're going to be able to negotiate with this guy and end up with a, with a functional deal, you know, where everybody bends a little bit, I don't see it. Uh, it's not his style. And frankly, again, it risks his base but what, now, ha- but what happens john if yeah. you have the uh, daca if they don't come to an agreement now you've got eight hundred thousand, you know dreamers who are going to be on the on on the list for uh, pretty much immediate deportation won't that lead democrats uh on issues like that and on issues like health care to try to make a deal i mean i i'm thinking of you know it, it, trump 
had he made the deal with Democrats that was initially announced by Democrats, that would have been really smart for Trump because he would have pulled a, a you know a lot of people over to his side had he said okay let's uh, do daca and uh, and and give me some extra money for for border security had the democrats taken that i think democrats though the daca kids would have been in better shape the democrats would have been in big trouble well here let me let's let's take that apart cuz I, I really love where you're going here and i think it's very important to explore this stuff when trump moves a little bit up in the polls mm-hmm. as he did uh, during the course of September. Right now, it appears he's moving back down mm-hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. Right. But as he did some in September, he doesn't bring independents and Democrats across the line. It's not like people who are saying, well, you know, yeah, I was for single-payer, yeah, I was for mm-hmm. uh, immigrant rights, or yeah, I was really for worker rights, but now I realize Trump's a good guy. That does not happen. What happens is that mainstream conservative Republicans who really were kind of getting deeply concerned about Trump, worried that this guy somehow is dangerous. The thing to remember is that when Democrats work with Donald Trump, they help him to solidify the Republican base, because Trump has a broader Republican base. He is currently polling far below the 46% of the vote that he got when he ran for president. And so um, it's not... Democrats and independents coming to Trump on these issues. It's it's Trump solidifying base. Mm. And so Democrats have to really think hard about, you know, when they work with Trump and how. There are certainly humanitarian arguments for working with Trump on some issues. And and I favor that. I think you have to. Uh by the same token, uh don't lie to yourself. Don't think that there's some kind of deal that's gonna get cut with Donald Trump. That, that ultimately is going to be to the good for, you know, all humanity, because it's not. This guy is going to continually play to the right. That's the point of what I've been writing. Yeah. And, it's, and I will warn you that we had an intervening factor in uh, the month of September that should not be underestimated. Donald Trump put his full force, power, not just his power of endorsement, but his distraction power, his division power into play in the Alabama Senate race mm-hmm. on behalf of Luther Strange, and it did not work. Yeah, that's And true. so he got a message there about how vulnerable he is with his own base. That's an, and, and so he, don't look for compromise. That's that's an excellent point to uh, to keep in mind, John Nichols. The uh, the report that uh, you did for Ro- Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, Donald Trump's dangerously coherent agenda, is intended for an international audience. What is the effect? Or the lesson, if you will, that other countries are taking right now, as you see it, from what is going on here in the U.S. under the under the Trump presidency, either about the U.S. itself or about, you know, what they can get away with, uh, perhaps in their own uh, in their own country. What what I guess uh, good and bad political lessons are they learning in these other countries? Well, what Donald Trump is doing is reshuffling international alliances. And that's the important thing to understand what he's doing there. And I don't think the people around him do. Remember, this is an important thing to understand. I write about this a lot in the book. He picked people for key diplomatic and uh, international affairs positions, not on the basis of their background. He didn't pick skilled conservative diplomats. Mm -hmm. He didn't pick even right-wingers who know the world well. He picked people who had 
domestic appeal and put them into positions where they were supposed to figure out how to deal with the world. So he's got Rex Tillerson at the State Department. This is an oil industry guy. Right. Um, the, the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, loves that he's in that position. And frankly, the military-industrial complex loves that he's in that position because uh, he's not doing much to maintain the diplomatic side of things. Nikki Haley was put into her position at the United Nations because she's an extreme social conservative. And social conservatives have been obsessed for a very long time with using the United Nations, using the UN, U.S. position at the United Nations, to dial down international programs uh, that fund uh, access to birth control, that may fund women's reproductive rights, and also that advance gay rights. And I know that sounds incredibly trivial, almost absurd, that you would name the United Nations because of their domestic social agenda, but in writing the book, I, I read all the social conservative, all the right-wing uh, blogosphere and, and magazines that talk to people in these communities, and they were campaigning for Nikki Haley to be the U.N. ambassador because she was 100%, quote-unquote, pro-life. She was very strongly anti-abortion, and they wanted such a person in that position. The social conservatives don't even like the neoconservatives on these issues because they're afraid that a neoconservative will sell them out. Um, so don't, it's a very dangerous thing, because we've got a global team now under Trump that is put into positions of power not because they know the world and not because they, they can work with other countries. What's happening as a result is that other countries are rearranging their alliances. They're looking to build new alliances. And, you know, I was in Germany around the time of the, the summit, and, you know, look, there was simply no question of what was going on. The Germans are talking to the Chinese. The Germans and the Chinese are talking to the Africans. The Africans are looking for new alliances because the U.S. is so neglectful of Africa. Um, and all I want to argue is that we are seeing a restructuring of global relations uh, based on actions that Donald Trump is taking, but far from strengthening the U.S. position and making U.S. central to global initiatives on economics or security, he's actually putting the U.S. on the sidelines and encouraging the formation of coalitions that would not have even been possible if you had a mainstream conservative Republican president. I, John Nichols, I got to get out here, and uh, I I am going to point. Well, I, I want to sort of uh, help uh, tease what you're doing. One of the reasons the uh, phone has been coming in and out a little bit down there is I know you're uh, somewhere in very rural Texas. Uh, I am, and I apologize for that. <laughs> that's okay, uh, but I want to tease it because you're working on a story, uh, as I understand it, about the organization that is being done down there right now by Bernie Sanders people who are actually. Uh, looking like they could be a force even in deep red Texas uh, come 2018. Do I understand that correctly? You understand exactly correctly. It is why our phone's been a little challenging at times. Texas has generally good cell service, but if you go far enough out, you can make it shaky. Uh, and last night I was in Tyler, Texas, yeah. which is very deep red. Um, it's, you know who their congressman is? Who's that? Louis Gohmert. Oh, right, right, Louis Gohmert. Yeah, there you go. And and regular visitor to town is Ted Cruz. And so 
this is this is not a place where Democrats have tried for a very very long time. But it is a place, and and this is what's interesting, with a substantial African American population, with a substan- substantial Latin Amer- or Mexican American population, largely, mm-hmm. um, and with a substantial Asian American population, especially in some of the coastal areas, as well as a lot of old school. Uh, people with some union ties, a lot of uh, younger people who actually did vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary. And what our revolution, the Sanders group, has done is put a lot of resources into really organizing in Texas. They're literally organizing in like 19 different districts throughout the state, including many rural areas that have been Republican for a long time. They're looking to do something that the Democrats, I think, have to do, and it's a very interesting strategy, and that is mobilization of people who don't vote not people who don't care Mm. but people who don't vote because they have thought for a long time that you know they just didn't have a chance to make things happen so they last night jim hightower and nina turner the former state senator from ohio who's been very active with our revolution now heads the group uh went to tyler texas they drew they had hundreds of people out uh multiracial multi-ethnic and they were literally talking about organizing down to the precinct level. And it's very fascinating what's going on. We'll see how far it goes, but it's, it's, quite, it's quite a break from the traditional Democratic approach. It is. Unfortunately, I think it's been to give up on a lot of people. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I agree. And uh, so it is very interesting. We'll look forward to your story. I think it's a cover story uh, that you're working on for The Nation. Folks will be able to read that at thenation.com. They can also, of course, get your book, John Nichols, Horseman of the Trumpocalypse, A Field Guide to the Most Dangerous People in the World. And we will include a link over to the uh, Rosa Luxemburg uh, report, because I think it's an important one for people to read uh, on Donald Trump's dangerously coherent agenda. John Nichols, always great talking to you, my friend. I'll also point folks towards your uh, Twitter feed at Nichols Uprising. Great talking to you, John. Uh, we'll do it again soon, I hope. I really hope so. I love talking to you, Brad. It's, I, I find an awful lot of common ground. Thank you, brother. I'm late. I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can As ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who actively continue to support our efforts here to stay on the air by dropping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to spend time with you every day. Thanks for that help. All right. I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.